When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Madam Adams herself. Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. You can read me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the paper. And if you don't, not that I will stop talking to you, which I probably will, but you can always listen to me on the air every Sunday at 2 o'clock from 2 to 3. It used to be another time from 1 to 2, but they changed the time. So you can now hear me burble from 2 to 3. I got to tell you something. I have a story. It's a long time story, so bear with me. In July of '02, I sat in the precise Nuremberg, Germany courtroom, formerly called Hitler's Court, where once World War II Nazis orchestrated the massacre of Jews. I stared at the elevator door through which Hermann Goering had walked and was sentenced to death in that courtroom by hanging. He cheated that death by committing suicide, a hidden cyanide pill, the night before. The day following my experience in the courtroom, I was also allowed at the Wannsee Conference, Tyranny, Justice, and the Law, The Nazis and Beyond, that was the title. Attendees were international jurists invited to discuss Hitler's courts, betrayal of the rule of law in Nazi Germany. It was called Einsatzgruppen. That meant Nazis killing units, whose job was to murder and rape a million unarmed civilians, like one at Babi Yar, which was right near Kiev, Ukraine. It was where 30,000 defense people were lined up, only to be shot to death. Nuremberg tried those death squad leaders. Einstadtsgruppen trial is the largest murder trial in history. 24 were convicted, 13 were death sentences. Now, today, after Hamas relived the Einsatzgruppen on October 7, an MSNBC news anchor said, Hamas's massacre needs more nuance. You hear the word? It needed more nuance. The killing needed nuance. CNN then said it needed context. Killing people needs context. The Hamas attack had zero to do with the Palestinians' plight. Hamas, in 2006, promised the U.S. charity, the U.N., Israel, and other Arab funds 
would build schools, hospitals, sewage, water systems, power plants. But instead, they spent it on arms, rockets, tunnels, and they permitted no election since. The Hamas Covenant's premise, Hitler's in Mein Kampf, preaches eliminating Jews as, here's the direct quote, a necessarily bloody process. October 7th's attack was unalloyed anti-Semitism. Nothing serves Hamas's purpose more than Israeli retaliation. It goes beyond rescuing hostages and rooting out Hamas and its leaders. Does civilization tolerate barbarism against the innocent without any punishment before the International Criminal Court in The Hague? Is that where we are? Is not genocidal anti-Semitism as indefensible as ignoring the crimes of the Einsatzgruppen? I just have to tell you what I went through and how I watched it and how I sat there and how I'm watching it happen again tonight. Is not genocidal anti-Semitism as indefensible as ignoring the crimes of the Einsatzgruppen of Hitler? That's what I'm asking. Okay, I'm going on to other things. I'm going on to other things, something else. I am sorry to hear that Mike Pence pulled out of the race for the presidency. He was such a nice man. When his handlers called him to take his final speech, it was 7 p.m., and they asked him, Did we wake you? I'm on, I'm on, I'm going on. The universe is crumbling. The universe is going downhill. The Middle East hatreds are killing Middle Easterners. Russia wants to swallow everyone. America is no longer wealthy. China is looking to devour Taiwan. Iran is a sewer. Also, screw North Korea. And haters, they only want to get Donald. You don't like Donald? Okay. You don't like Donald. It's okay. Lots of people I don't like. Pick who you like. With a world in crisis, nothing to do but go for Donald's jugular. How about our infrastructure? Migrants, homicides, diseases, guns, crime, poverty, the FBI, Maine. How about stupid congressional fights? You don't love Donald? Okay by me. Better Biden, who always keeps a stiff upper lip? He has to. The guy probably has a thousand dollars stuck in his dentures. But to use up money, time, manpower, patience, legalities, on basically only one thing, get Donald? Listen, fine him. Take away his hairdresser, his cosmetician. But spend all this time hating, suing, fining, punishing him? Might as well live in a banana republic, which Joe Biden's brother probably owns by now. Listen, you also have to know 
that the Middle East means it is no time for media clowns to be calling America weak. We can't risk that. Enough of that. And enough already with Ramaswamy, whatever his name is. He has less chance than my housekeeper to become president. Meantime, Thanksgiving is coming. Let me tell you what it was like a few years ago. In 1897, at Telluride's American House, it cost 50 cents for 10 courses. You got caviar, tomatoes or tomatoes, salmon, beef au champignon, coffee, whipped cream with jelly. I mean, what whipped cream with jelly means, I, I don't know. But you also got three wines. I, I know what those are. And then we got from etiquette specialist Ellen Easton. She writes about these things. That in 1899, New York City's Cafe Boulevard had blue points, consomme, salmon, sweetbread patties, duck, spinach, escarole salad, pudding, wine, and demitasse. It was 75 cents. The tip, who knows, be a tic-tac. 1966, at Tucson's Flamingo, there was turkey, cranberry soup, potatoes, souffle, brandy, rum pie with melted cheese, and coffee. It cost $2.25. One cup at a deli now costs more. 1976, Health Foods Aware-In. Chinese salads, bean sprouts, scallions, cucumber, green peppers, tomatoes and almonds, and a tamarind dressing, chocolate supreme, $2. And if they reopen, I'm available for takeout. I tell you what, I am now going to do a station break so that I can earn enough money to buy myself a Thanksgiving dinner. And after this, I shall come right back with some great interviews. See you in another two seconds. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now speaking with television's Rosanna Scotto. She has been giving you the news since Jesus walked the earth. And now she will be talking to me. How many years ago, how long ago did you start this show? Oh, Lord, why would you ask me that question? So you're talking about Good Day New York because I've been on Good Day New York about 15 years. But I, with the 10 o'clock news, for a, a number of years, I can't count them on my hands. Okay, it's that many, you know. And even maybe if I use my toes, too, it's that many. And what were you when you started? Were you the star of the show or were you just a lousy little person or what? I was one of those little runt reporters when I started. But, I mean, you know, listen, when I graduated college, I, I did all the grunt work, you know. Um, I ripped scripts. I got coffee. I did the chirons, you know, the, the, the names and the, yeah, the sports yeah. scores that are up on the screen. I did all that stuff. And then I learned, you know, research and writing and film producing. And, and then I was reporting. And, you know, I kind of worked my way up. So I even knew how to shoot. Uh, and edit. Uh, I probably don't know how to do that now on the new equipment, but I don't want to, because the more you know, the more they want you to do. So I'm just going to keep myself out of that. I'll just play dumb. 
Well, well, what happened when you went to school? You mean from the day one when you were born, you wanted to be on TV? You wanted to be a reporter? Is that it? Yes. Cindy, I I know you probably remember this. Uh, There was a woman on the air uh, when I was growing up, Roseanne Scamadella. She was on Eyewitness News. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There were very few Italian-American women on the air. Very few women on the air. And, you know, our dinners were around watching TV news, you know. And I was like, wow, she has a name like mine. She's from Brooklyn. My dad said, I know her. I'm like, can I meet her? I'd love to pick her brain about how I can do this. And so she introduced me to Ernie and Astis. And... uh, And this is all while I was in college, and I then started figuring out, navigating what I needed to take in school to somewhat be viable when I got outside of class, because I was a theater major, and I know, Cindy, you could tell how dramatic I am. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. You're making me cry right now. Okay. (laughs) So what school? Where did you go, and how how lousy a student were you? Um, I was a very good student. I went to Catholic University. Let me fix my halo. Um, (laughs) Cardinal, our our favorite Cardinal was there at the time, but we were not studying the same thing. He was studying (laughs) heavenly things, and I was looking to get in trouble. I understand that. uh, We were on two uh, different, you know, he was in the, the, the heavens and I was in the underworld. And uh, I, I loved it. I loved Catholic University. It gave me a great education. And I'm so grateful for my faith. Um, I think it helps me during these crazy times that we're living in. I mean, we need something, right? Were you scared when you first were thrown into TV in front of a microphone? Uh, yeah, especially, you know, if there was breaking news. Really, it does take a, a, a while to be able to, um, I don't know, figure out the stuff in your brain and make sure it comes out in a, a thoughtful way and not say anything that's just on the top of your head, you know? I, I Believe it or not, I, I'm not even going to... Why would I jinx myself? But I've never cursed on the air, and I have a very... You mean to mouth. say you never said a bad word on the air? By accident, I did once. But it Can, wasn't like my usual how I like to put an F-bomb in, you know, and use it as an adjective, noun, and a verb. Well, I mean, I have done a few little things that weren't so great. So tell me about the Brooklyn accent. You never tried, pardon the expression, to get rid of it? Yes, I did. <laughs> I went to this woman named Lillian Wilder. Do you remember Lillian? A lot of people, uh, the, you know, that networks would send all their reporters there, and she would kind of clean up everybody's accent. And I went a long time. Um, Channel 7 sent me there, and then Channel 5 sent me there. Then my father sent me there. And he said, <laughs> how much, let's figure out how much we've spent already. And Lillian, by the way, she was ready to pull out her hair. She's like, what kind of accent is this? And I realized the more that I tried to sound like middle American was I was getting rid of my personality. I needed the Brooklyn accent to be me. And now I think it's very acceptable. Back then it wasn't acceptable. They wanted, you know, everybody to be like middle American, blonde and blue eyed. And, you know, um, and now I think everybody accepts. You know, that we all look different and we're all of different ethnicity. Well, I don't, know, I don't know 
I, I don't know about the accent, but we're all used to you, and we love you madly. What about uh, when I was an anchor on, on TV, we had problems about the schmatas we were wearing. We would spill coffee yeah. on it, or the damn thing was too big, You or safety pins in the back that nobody can see. You always look quite poised, and your clothes look good. You never had an accident with, with clothes or anything on, on the air? I do keep something at work just in case I have an accident. Um, and yes, there's been times where I've dropped coffee. Uh, you know, Greg Kelly, who you know from WABC yeah. and Newsmax, yeah. he's dropped slurpees on me. I mean, literally, I've had more stuff dropped on me from him than my own doing. You know, I remember one show with your Greg Kelly when he was on your show. <laughs> I had yeah. my dog with me, my boy dog. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. The great, the great story, and my boy dog is wandering around in front of the cameras, and he said to the audience, "Okay, is this a boy dog or a girl dog? Really? Well, what kind of a sex life does he have? I mean, I, I, literally, I think you showed him the anatomy of the dog on oh, the air. I did. I did. We, we were crying, laughing so much. I remember. You know, that. Greg." It takes Greg a little bit to, you know, catch on. But when he does, he's very good. Have you never been able, or I, I'm not saying this properly gram grammatically, have you ever not been able to make a show? No, I've made every show. Don't jinx me, Cindy. I won't, but what happens? What happens? What What time do you get up? Show. What time do you, how do you get up? I get up at 4.30, leave the house in the five-ish range. I'm at work for a 515 meeting. Now, have I overslept? Yes. But thank goodness, they know if I'm not there by 515, they need to wake me up. And it's happened, it happens maybe once a year. You know, your body's just tired. And I know you think that I'm used to it, and I am very disciplined and trying to get to sleep on time and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But... Um, your body just sometimes needs an extra few minutes of sleep. Uh, but I've never missed the top of the show. Do you ever have to nudge your husband in the way or something like that? I mean, you're, you're not, unless you're sleeping alone for all these years. No, no. Let me tell you something, Cindy. He is the king of the castle. He must not be disturbed in the morning, okay? <laughs> all right? So when I get up, it's like I'm a cat burglar. I'm trying to figure out where the bathroom is, and then, God forbid, I trip, I, and I'm always dropping my phone because the phone has to be in my hand. Yeah. And sometimes I put the light on on the phone so I can see where I'm going because he was the king, cannot be disturbed. No, I understand that. I actually understand that. Tell me, I hope you have had one lousy guest in all your hundred years. Did you ever have a lousy guest? Um, well, you know, yes, of course. Um, we had one recently, a politician who will not be named. Can you um, give me the initials? JB. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. So anyway, he came on. He was talking about something. You know, he's running for reelection, and I said. Did you ever vote for defund the police? No, I never did. I'm, and then I was like, oh, wait a second. I just happened to have your Twitter from yeah. June 26, 2020. Oh, Lord. 
Oh, Jeez. that's nice. After that, he literally called my bosses a million times. He wanted a retraction, this and the other thing. My boss was like, there's no retraction. You were there. <laughs> you responded to it. <laughs> it wasn't like he was talking behind your back. You were right there. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, that is so good. What about you? Anyway. You have told me that no bad word has ever slipped through your pursed lips. You never. to me. You think to me. I know you are. I'm going to go on in on on Monday, and I'm going to let just let it rip. I'm totally going to let it rip. That's what I'll do on my last day. How about that? When is your? Oh, there's never going to be a last day. When are you going to have a last day? I don't know. You know what? I love what I do. I'm I'm totally energized by what I do. I get to meet the most interesting people, movers, shakers, celebrities, lifestyle people. I hang out with Cindy Adams. She uh, was in. I loved what happened the other day. You're out there, the Cardinals blessing all the animals outside Radio City. I spy you in the back. I see you there. You got your pad, your pencil. And I tell my reporter, say hi to Cindy for me. He and did. You turn she, did. Around. she did. She did. <laughs> and, and she does. And you turn around and go, tell her she owes me dinner. And there you go. <laughs> but you mean while I'm... While I was there with the Cardinal, you were watching me? I, uh, uh, weren't you doing your own show? I was doing my own show, but I, I saw you. I saw you in the background. It oh, was like you were like a little reporter, like it was your first day on the job with the pen and the pad. Yeah, well, because he tells me little things that I can force out of him that I can write about. Okay, okay. Have you personally, <laughs> since I know you a thousand years and we watch you daily... Have you, you ever screwed up? Yeah, of course, a million times. Um, oh, how, do you cover? Up, how do you cover? Uh, you know, I, how do I cover? Like, uh, you know, either you, you admit that you made a mistake. And I think people like that. People like to see screw-ups. I think they because otherwise, everybody's so perfect on the air. Don't you want to know that they're real and they're normal? So I think that the screw-ups are endearing to people. I haven't had a major, major screw-up. But, yes, little screw-ups here and there, totally. But, like I said, I think people like it. So tell me, if you get up at this ungodly hour, I forgot, what time do you get up every morning? 4.30-ish. Okay, by an alarm? Oh, yeah. One alarm only? One alarm. And... And no snooze, because the king must not be disturbed. No, I understand so. that. I understand that. So how late can you stay up? I've seen you at every party that's ever been here. When George Washington came in, you were there. I mean, you never missed a party ever. I, I, my sister says I'm there for the opening of an envelope. Um, well, you know, listen, when I'm not out, I like to be in bed around 7.30. I read for about an hour or two and then close the light by 9.30. If uh, I am out with you, Cindy Adams, I can be out till 9.30, 10. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm in the best mood the next day. Uh, and I don't like to do it, you know, consecutive nights. But I can hang with the big, big girls and boys. You don't get really tired, sweetie, ever really no, I'm I'm saying I, I get tired, you know, but I, I I once I get up and out of bed and a cup of coffee in me, 
I'm ready for the day. There's rarely a day that, I don't know, it's the same thing that you do. You're so focused on what you're doing, you kind of forget your, your issues, your problems, how tired you are. You're energized by what you do. Do you have your cup of coffee before you get to the studio? No, I take it with me. I take a thermos in the morning, and uh, I um, I drink it at, at my desk during our meeting. And, what do you, you know, do with I your schmatas? To... You... What do you do with I, your schmatas, your clothes? I dress, I dress in my schmata. That's what I do. I wake up in the morning, I dress in my schmata, and I leave the house. You know, <laughs> I take a shower, whatever. But no, no hair and makeup. I do that at work. We do not have hair and makeup people anymore. And so I do that. Myself. You're doing your own. You're doing your own. Yeah. Do I look like a cyclops to you some mornings? Because that no, I'm, that, I have to. That is the. I have real to tell you. I have to tell you that you're looking very well. I mean, there might be a slightly different hair color, which I wouldn't even mention. which I wouldn't even bring up I wouldn't even bring it up but you're looking very well and I was watching you yesterday the dress everything everything however what people don't know is that while you're interviewing the world's famous and the camera turns away for a split second you're on your stupid phone how can you do that I I guess I have ADD and um I, I, I do. I, I really, I'm, I'm on my phone. I'm texting people. I'm tweeting during the show or Xing, whatever you call I know, it now. I know, I know. And, and I think people like that. That's part of the whole, you know, experience now of watching TV, of, you know, interacting with our audience and, and getting a feeling, you know, momentarily w- w- how people feel about a certain interview or subject and, you know, I, I try to incorporate incorporate that in the show. Okay, I, I, I have now to... had enough of you. You did. I have oh, now I'm had enough of you. With you. <laughs> I'm getting started with you. Don't cut me off like that, Cindy. <laughs> I have now had enough of you. We can't have dinner because this weekend, like I said, I forgot I have to go to Boston. So, will you find another date? And you know who else we're going to ask? You you know yes. we, we talked about A very it. Very tall, okay. handsome uh, gentleman for you. Yes. It's great. It's great. It's great. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you, Cindy. This was so much fun. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. 
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. So, I am about to talk with my friend, Mayor Roshan. He is high up in the Hollywood Reporters Editorial Board. Tell me, is it different working with movie stars as opposed to us here on the East Coast? Well, there's uh, more than a few movie stars on the East Coast these days, but... uh, it's it's a different kind of mentality. I think um, there's a different reverence for celebrities on the West Coast um, than on the East Coast, and it's it's much more central in a way. It makes sense because celebrities, you know, provide so much of the city's income and revenue, and so many satellite businesses are kind of arrayed around this whole celebrity industrial complex. And so with the strikes, you see, you know, the city has lost billions and billions of dollars um, just over the duration of these strikes. So they occupy a more central place in the city than they do in New York. It almost sometimes seems to me that it's a lot less friendlier, a lot less friendly for a person, because here here you you're out on the street or you're on a stoop in California. Everyone's behind some sort of a facade or a gate. And you can't get to people. Am I right or am I wrong? I think you're right. And, you know, it it came up. I I remember when there were riots here and people were expecting them to happen in New York. And one of the reasons they said it didn't was that people in New York of all kind of classes and races, like mingled in the subways and on the street in a way that, you know, Everyone's yeah. in their car. You go to your destination here, and there's just less of a chance for people of different echelons to kind of hang out together. And um, so, yeah, it's harder to date, I can attest. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah, you're kind of constrained to your own kind of social set or places that you go, but there's not the mix that you get in New York, and which I miss having since I moved here. What else about California is different from New York? First of all, you, you don't have to schlep 44 hours on, on a highway to get anywhere. Here you go up two flights in an elevator. I thought I'd go crazy in California. You don't mind all of that? Yeah. You know, every pr- person, I, I find people uh, who move here from New York, of which there are increasing numbers, I should say. So they originally start off by the beach. Venice and Santa Monica and which seems great like if you're going to be in New York you're going to want to move by the beach if you come to California but then they realize that none of your friends will come visit you there because it's too far (laughs) (laughs) so inevitably all of you who move you know to Venice kind of go to the center of the city especially if they have work and stuff like that what is yeah mayor what is your view of the ongoing strike which seems endless. What? Give me an insider's point of view. 
Well, two weeks ago, uh, one of my first covers here was everyone were certain the strike was going to be over like that day. Yeah. And so we had a cover and it was like, now what? The strike's over, now what? And then the writer's strike was over, but the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild strikes, are are still continuing, like to everyone's shock and horror. Um, and again, it's, you know, lots of people are losing out. It's not just the actors, but the people around the actors, the grips, like, it, you know, a, a wide assortment, the studios. So, Supposedly, now we're at another inflection point where people are predicting it's going to just one or two more days now. And I think that if I was to guess, I think it will be soon because people are just fed up with this and people are struggling. But, you know, Fran Drescher has proved uh, surprisingly to be this immovable force. And uh, really, it's up to her and the SAG leadership um, how much longer they're willing to continue and also up to the studios to see if they'll give in on these last few points but i think it's imminent that well, the strikes it, are gonna... it's been imminent now for a very long time i mean a really really long time what is your view of the ongoing strike do you think it's correct or not correct for it to be going on like this what is what is the hollywood reporter saying is it not difficult to get stories if, if they're not working? How do you get your stories? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, recently it's been a lot about the strikes, not just Hollywood Reporter, but every magazine that has dependent on celebrities, celebrities no longer can promote their projects. So meaning that, you know, there's a lot more music stars on covers of magazines now, if you've noticed. <laughs> yeah. You know, you kind of, uh, you know, digging where you can. Um, we have the NFL commissioner on one cover, which never would have happened before the strike. Because uh, you have, you know, a weekly hole to fill. Um, but I think you're right. Everyone keeps saying it's about to be over. It's done, and it keeps, you know, hobbling on. But my gut tells me that this really is. I'm not sure if. It's, but day or two or if it's like maybe a week but i i really do think like we're looking at the end of this because there's not much appetite for keep keeping this going any longer you and i know each other sort of a lifetime when you yeah. work you when you were working here how did you actually start in journalism you came you came your family came from overseas tell me about yeah. that and then how you got into this um, good question. So we were, uh, we came from Iran with my mom during the revolution in 79. Um, and you knew the Shah, right? Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> I knew him well. So, yeah, I, I remember that. Um, at college, I was a messenger boy for Details Magazine. <laughs> and, uh, my fellow messenger was Sidney Lumet's daughter, Jenny. And uh, unlike, they used to give me like, here kid, here's a token, deliver this package. And uh, Jenny Lumet said, I have my car and driver. So we are the only <laughs> messenger boy who had a car and driver to deliver it. <laughs> so, uh, and then I worked at, uh, in Florida as a crime reporter and military reporter. 
and moved to New York and worked at New York Magazine for about seven and a half years, where we worked together for the first time. Yeah. Why, um, why, why journalism? Why did you pick that when you had a background that was international? You know, I remember growing up, I, I came here when I was 13, but before I came here, I used to, my mom, who's American, used to get Time and Vogue and all these things. And it just seemed like this exciting world that was beyond the world that I was living in. And even when we moved to Long Island, you know, I would read New York Magazine and knew all the socialites' names and yeah, it just, I think magazines and media give you entree into worlds that are beyond you. And I think that's a valuable thing and an interesting thing to give access to people who maybe wouldn't have that access. I I don't understand. I mean, I, I've been writing all my life back before the earth cooled. But <laughs> what does an editor do. I don't see that they have any great brains. They just tell me where to put a comma when I didn't put a comma. What is so great about what guys like you do? I mean, there's there's different kinds of editors. So there's actual text editors like what you mentioned, which is like, you know, this word sounds wrong or like put the comma. But I think editors of magazines and, and newspapers are like producers and they set a vision and they, so that vision guides not only the words, but also the images you use and the point of view. So it, the best magazines and newspapers are, you can imagine them as people, right? Like they have a tone and they come to life with a certain sensibility that's imposed from the top. So that's the best way I could describe it. So the words are just one part of it. It's just the look and feel. Does what that you mean you're not that. smart enough to be a writer? Is that what it means? I mean, to be <laughs> honest, I hate writing. I, I, I do writing, but uh, I really uh, admire people who could look at a blank page and come up with something because it's uh, a hard thing to do. And in fact, many of the writers I've often noted are crazy that we work with and I think it's because there's nothing scarier than like you have a deadline you're looking at this white piece of paper or your computer screen and you have you know a day to come up with something that works so uh, I have nothing but respect for people who can do that so yes I'm not as smart as those people oh I'm glad to hear that so tell me about Hollywood don't you have to be a lot careful about egos and hurt feelings and PR people we have some of it, but not quite as much as you have out in Hollywood. I'm trying to think if that's true, because having worked in New York for so long, plenty of egos and bruised feelings over there that we had to deal with in publicists. <laughs> um, Can you tell I, me of any? <laughs> <laughs> Can you I think could go down of a one? Long list. Uh, I think, you know... I, there is more because there's a star system here. There's much more uh, fealty paid or like uh, consideration of that kind of thing here in L.A. than there would be in New York. What do you mean? Um, I make that simple. I mean, what are you talking about? Again, because 
celebrities are responsible for the success or failure of a lot of projects, and they're often the glue that holds certain projects together. And so writers and all these people are paid because of them. And, you know, things fail or succeed because of them. So they occupy a much more central position than celebrities in New York. Um, so the care and feeding of celebrities is more important here. But I think, you know, New York has its own version of movie star celebrities. You know, there's people in jail who are kind of VIPs who are, you know, people treat and are very, you know, careful not to offend in the same way that celebrities are treated here. So is it easier or not easier to work on the West Coast than here? I don't like the West Coast. I'm not fond of it. I don't feel comfortable in it. But obviously, I remember we've talked. We talked about that when I lived in New York. Yes, and, uh, I know. I know. That's I remember when I first came here. Like, the craziest thing was they were like, I was smoking at the time, and they said, "You go out and they're like, you're on the no no smoking sidewalk, so you have to walk across the street <laughs> to the smoking sidewalk," which I thought was so bizarre. <laughs> um, but you know, there's something to be said about like walking. And this is such a cliche, but the the weather really is a big you know it's it's sunny right now and i'm in a t-shirt which i think is not the case in new york today oh no it isn't no it isn't and at least i hope you washed your t-shirt how do you feel <laughs> about artificial intelligence i don't understand it so you have to explain it to me simply so I'll, someone uh recently had uh died here and we had to do an obituary. So I had to sign this obituary to one of our young writers and it was taking forever to come in. And just on a whim, I decided, I wonder if I asked chat GPT, which is one of these artificial intelligence engines and said, please write me a obituary of this person. And it spit it out in 20 seconds. Oh. So the easiest way to explain that is something that the I was waiting on the writer to do, uh, which would have come in, you know, it's not like the chat GPT did it perfectly or without error, it needed editing, but so would the young writer need editing. And so I think on basic things like that, you know, I, I think we're going to find basic tasks replaced by AI, um, whether it can replicate much more sophisticated things. I mean, there's always going to be a need for creative writers and artists. Um, but, like, some of the basics can definitely be covered now by computers, for better or worse. What about heart? What about gizzard? What about that kind of thing that comes out of a writer that AI doesn't have? They <laughs> may have the efficiency in writing words and spelling words and being proper in grammar but and history. But what about the emotion, the gizzard that people like us have. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm, to me, that's really important. And I don't want to see ever like that kind of stuff being replaced. But when you think of how many things don't require emotion, like, like simple news stories that you just need the facts for, and you don't need a lot of artistry for, and that takes up a lot of, you know, you've worked in newspapers, so a lot of jobs are just like, Take the headlines, write it up quickly, and and those are the jobs that are going to be 
at risk. Someone said something interesting the other day, which is, you know, the last big tech revolution kind of made computer programmers and people like that, white collar jobs, much more important. And this revolution is going to make those people less important and plumbers and electricians more important because that's something AI definitely can't do. So it's an interesting reversal of fortunes for these groups. Here's something that I'm sort of loath to bring up, but we're all involved in it in the city here. Your heritage is Iranian and Jewish. Yeah. What are you and feeling Jewish. about what's happening now? Uh, it's been awful, actually. I, it's been a scary moment, <laughs> which I think, you know, a lot of people who are progressive and also... It, I remember my grandmother telling us, like, you know, never feel too safe because there's all of this anti-Semitism around and we're always thought it was quaint and we're like, okay, grandma, we're not, you know, 1940s Germany anymore and we're not there now, but I think it made us, me and, and a lot of other people who thought that was behind us more aware that it's never fully eradicated. Um, you look at college campuses and just look at elements of the media and, you know, the equivocating about something that was just, you know, the worst uh, loss of life of Jewish people since the Holocaust in one day. And that the day after there would be kind of explaining it away or, you know, I think that that's a wake up call to a lot of people that uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Do you hear from anyone in the old country? I have some relatives there, um, and, you know, they live under a theocracy, so, you know, Islamic fundamentalists. I, I had brief hope uh, about six months ago when the country in Iran, led by women, um, were marching against the Ayatollahs, but they pretty effectively, by killing, you know, hundreds of people and thousands of people and by jailing thousands of people, they to put that down, but uh, their time will come. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask a question, and however you're going to answer it, I know you will. You can answer it. There are people in Hollywood, there are big names, who have said some very harsh things about Semites or whatever, and yet they are still working. They are still engaged. How does that work? Is there no way for them to be? taken away or stopped in some way? Um, I think when you look at the institutions of Hollywood, I think institutionally there's been a pushback against that kind of thing, much more than, like, for example, that you see at Harvard or at Academia or, you yeah. know, and even the certain segments of the media. Um, so I think actually Harvard, the response of Hollywood has been more you know, in line with just popular opinion than, than these other places. But, you know, the, the world is changing and things that were sacrosanct no longer are. And they, no one can effectively shut people down or shut them up. I, I think the way 
you know, if some movie star or some studio executive says something that's really out of line, and if the studios feel that that's going to hurt their bottom line, then that will be, you know, addressed. But still a free country and people are entitled to their opinions that as odious as they may seem. Okay. Hollywood Reporter, how much in advance do you write something? How, how, well, how, what's your lead time? We're weekly. <laughs> we're weekly, but not always. Like, so I think we have uh, 40 issues a year. Um, so I like to go right up to the edge. And so with the strike, uh, you know, we're the magazine goes to press on Tuesday. And so we have two different covers, one in case we're doing Fran gesture as a cover, just between me and you and your listeners. <laughs> uh, but one is yeah. the cover that has, you know, if the strike is over and then a different cover if the strike is continuing. So you have to, by being up to the minute, it just requires some extra work sometimes to cover your bases. Um, okay, I like before to keep, I let you but, go. Go on. Before, do do you have to get OKs for these high class celebrities before you print something? Because you tend not to be nasty or snotty like sometimes I might be. Do you have to get OKs? Do they check them no. before the stories come out? You know me. I've never I've never operated that way, uh, and it wouldn't. We're not a fanzine, and we actually have been critical of celebrities and often. Um, I think that you're right. That's a trade, and Hollywood Reporter is kind of a hybrid. Trade magazines are kind of industry focused, like Variety and Deadline. That uh, so they tend to toe the line more because they really need to curry favor with these people. But we also are a magazine that reaches beyond industry people to get normal people like in New York and all over the country. So we're less hemmed in by those, you know, we, we don't have to kowtow to the celebrities so much and we don't. Okay. We'll never be Thank as kick-ass as we should. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, honey. I look forward to seeing you and for reading the magazine. Thanks a lot, Tony. Thank you so Thank much you. for having me. Because bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.